0: You're about to join Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent, yet often overlooked, investment strategy.
1: Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and I, Niels Kostrup Larsen, are back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where each week we focus on helping you build safer and better performing portfolios by including trend following in the mix, and where we do our best to answer all of your questions. Now, if you are a first-time listener, welcome. We appreciate you taking time out to spend with us, and we aim to make it worth your while. As usual, let me start by saying good morning to you, Jerry, and good afternoon to you, Moritz. How are you? Hello, guys. Hi, both. How are you? Great. Good morning. Doing well, thanks very much. Let me do a quick review of things that just kind of caught my eye this week. I think the main, the two main stories I would say. One was, of course, that the 30-year interest rates in uh, the U.S. hit all-time lows uh, this week, uh, and and that's kind of sparked uh, you know, the government to once again consider whether they should start borrowing even longer than the 30 years that we know as as kind of the the longest uh, U.S. Treasury. And there was some talk uh, yesterday, Friday, and that they are thinking about, or at least going to ask what people or investors think about if they were to issue a 50-year, 100-year bond, just like we talked about a few weeks ago that Austria has done. So I think that uh, is uh, is interesting. The 10-year Yield is not quite at new all-time lows, but it's pretty darn close. Um, and of course, the other event that caught my eye this week was um, the Chinese, uh, of course, allowing their currency to go through the, uh, the seven handle, uh, which, of course, for many macro watchers, at least, uh, is quite important. Um, the dollar strength story that has played out well, I guess, in, in our trend following portfolios. Uh, is, is still in play, a bit choppy at the moment, but I mean, there are currencies like the Australian dollar that is, you know, falling, uh, pretty much like a knife through butter at the moment. Um, and, and by the way, the last time I think the RMB started devaluating, uh, it only lasted a few weeks until volatility really, uh, crept up everywhere. Um, so I think that's interesting. Also, of course, the tensions we still have in Hong Kong, what that might lead to, but then of course, there's also things that may not get so much attention in the normal, um, headlines of the, of the, of the, uh, news media. And that is, I noticed that the Euro stocks bank index, which has really been under pressure in the last few years, um, actually broke, uh, what, uh, a lot of people consider as sort of key support, which may, um, which may signal a huge problem for for us over here in Europe. Uh, and so uh, the ECB, I think, is still on some holiday, but when they come back, uh, they may have to uh, act a little bit more swiftly than uh, many people um, think. So all in all, I would just say that, I mean, obviously the themes are the same, but it looks like kind of these macro themes are gonna play out uh, for many months, uh, maybe even years to come. So, uh, with all that action, Lawrence, what? Um, how was your week?
2: Slight positive week. Nothing spectacular. Lots of backs and forth in the market. I think um, made money again from the bonds. I mean, this becomes like we're repeating this every week, every week. <laughs> to, at the risk of becoming boring, but it is it is the case. Um, um, equities problematic. You know, up and down. Lots of volatility. Much more volatility than we saw a couple of weeks back um so markets are moving um gold still positive along the gold market long silver uh made slight gains so overall um 0.3 0.4 percent up for the week nothing too spectacular but you know
1: happy with 40 basis points nice and steady and also you know this continuation of, of 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 a of a decent run despite many things happening i think that is important because it's uh, not really what uh, trend followers uh, have been known for. Um, so I would echo your uh, sentiment uh, more. It's a, a good week on our side. Um, of course, fixed income, uh, you know, uh, taking the, the lead in terms of performance. Um, but the single biggest winner for us this week was actually wheat. Uh, so that was nice, Made some money in gold, like you did, Hawks uh, were pretty good, um, coffee did okay. Um, and the euro, actually, not a bad, uh, not a bad week for the euro. Um, British pound, not so much. And of course, as you say, equities. I mean, for us, you know, we're alongside it on the sort of U.S. Europeans indices that cost money, but you know, we're positioned for weakness in, in Japan, so that made us a bit of money. But overall, uh, overall, a um, yeah, positive week, which we uh, we're happy about, of course. Um, what about you, Jerry? There's a lot of action, of course, in the equity markets, but we don't, I mean, we just see the indices on, on our side. Uh, does that play out differently when you look at the single stock stocks that you trade? I mean, yeah, I think even on some of the violent
0: days where the markets were down a lot, um, I go through all the charts, you know, the different single names that we trade, and some of them had a you know, little tiny budge, but, and then they're back to new highs yesterday. So. It's up and down, we have some shorts, uh, we always have less of performance in the stocks than we would if we traded indices because we're long and short and flat, some, so it looks like your currency charts, some going up, some going down. And uh, it's really kind of destabilizing to uh, flip open my chart page and the first thing I see is the S&P down, you know, a lot which I don't really do that at the dollar index. I just sort of go down the currencies and I go down the commodities and there's no commodity index I reference. So it's I'm still contaminated and influenced by how the world uh, has trained me to view stocks, not from our point of view, world view, which is you know individual and long and short and follow your systems, but uh, the macro calls on CNBC and the media kind of, you know can kind of, Get you going and pessimistic, and then only to be optimistic the next day. None of these moves seem to follow through or be very predictive of tomorrow's move.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. By the way, um, I'm just picking up Jerry while we so uh, while we speak that you you may not be coming through your mic. You may be coming through your laptop. Just it's your voice sounds different, so you might want to check that uh, on the setup. But incidentally, what you say is interesting because I was just listening to uh a podcast this morning and um and they were saying you know a fun thing to do is to watch news that is around nine months old meaning go back and and look at cnbc and bloomberg uh you know from from what was said at an interview uh you know nine months ago um and and see how silly it, it in most cases really are compared to what what happens uh afterwards so uh Kind of interesting. Kind of interesting.
2: I agree with that. This week was funny. I picked up a few headlines in uh, German newspapers or news outlets saying markets are in absolute panic mode. that's like, really? I mean because because the S and p is down three percent is, is we're we're in absolute panic mode. I mean it's just it just makes you laugh, right? I always like this. Yeah. No
0: one's able to look at them in terms of the ATR, so that's even worse.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's just interesting, I think, in many ways. Um, and, of course, uh, what we try to do is not pay too much attention to all of this. And now, uh, Moritz, while Jerry is just fixing uh, his side, were there anything in particular that you picked up in, in sort of the, the Twitter world this uh, week before we jump to, to Jerry's uh, top tweets? I mean, I think it's interesting that, and I've said it before, I mean, there are uh, so, so this whole Fin tweet. We, we started out by calling it Jerry's top tweets in in kind of a um, you know to make it sound uh, you know interesting and fun. But but actually, I think this whole Fin tweet area has really taken a much more serious um, uh, role. I mean, a lot of really good content, uh, interestingly enough, is being shared um, by quote unquote influencers there.
2: Yes, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, uh, you know, we're waiting for Jerry. He's got the uh, the repository of the good things there. And certainly we, we must not miss out Wayne this week uh, because we missed him last week. Um, but I enjoy Twitter a lot, just, you know, in the evenings, uh, reading through things uh, about markets, um, following up. And there is some really interesting stuff on there every once in a while. Um, so I, I, I like it. It's, it's a great, great source for me. And we've met a lot of friends uh like-minded yes. people
0: and we have people who are um, challenging us and we feel challenged so that's right you guys get back up a little bit if you don't mind but gotta take the good with the bad I guess
1: no absolutely okay. how was then your um, what was the main thing you noticed uh, in terms of reactions uh, this week
0: well I always like to check on what's going on at uh, on Morgan Housel's webpage collaborative fund. He always has some really good long pieces. And this week he had uh, his version of the laws of investing. And uh, once again, you know, I don't think he approaches the markets from a trend following or point of view, or certainly commodities and currencies, long and short, probably doesn't keep up with that too much. So, But it's kind of fun to sort of see how I think I agree with a lot of people like him uh, when they come up with things like the laws of investing. It sounds pretty uh, audacious to take on that particular topic, but I I really did agree with a lot of what he was saying. And I think our philosophy does broadly sort of merge into other good good things that other people are doing. Uh, So one of his tweets was uh, the behavioral side of investing will always be more important than the analytical side because good behavior and no data can still do well, but tons of data mixed with poor behavior is a lit fuse
2: i agree 100 percent with that absolutely i mean no critique from my point you can have the best data in the world or the worst data in the world but if you misbehave around that data then you're in trouble right and some good solid simple rules in the markets um
1: they they may be just all you need talking about simple rules a lot of people um you know that are interested in becoming more quantitative i mean it's it's maybe a difficult place to, um, to to know exactly where to start. And I heard something I thought was really good advice uh, or a good suggestion. Um, it's not really specifically about how to become a, a trend follower, but, but part of what we do, of course, is we overcome our own biases by following rules. Um, and the suggestion was that the first thing you could start if you're just running your own portfolio, but you may not want to get into the nitty-gritty of, of developing trend-following models is to start um, rebalancing, have rules for rebalancing, because what you end up doing is, for example, during a crisis like 2008 is that you end up actually, if you have certain limits to your uh, allocation to uh, various investments, you would end up, say, in that case, you, you would sell some of your bonds that did really well, And you would start buying back some of the stocks that had done really poorly. So over time, that simple rule could help a lot of investors. When I heard that, I thought, even though it's not specifically what we do, but as a starting point, it's, it's not a bad idea. I wanted sort of your take on that. If, If, you know, let's forget what we do in, in specifically in our niche, but just to a wider audience who may not, who may not be, you know, um, that disciplined or rules-based um but don't want to sit and 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 try and develop models like we do um do you think there's any merit in saying oh maybe i should just start by having rules for how my portfolio should be allocated and rebalance uh accordingly does that make sense in, in the way you think about
0: it well honestly it doesn't make that much sense to me but uh and then i have read papers over the years that um critique the rebalancing and the rules uh and i think it's mixed bag as to whether they help or hurt at you know different points in time and i think it's just sort of random <clears throat> i would never discourage anyone from having those particular rules but i've often sort of said that trend following is like non-random rebalancing so i prefer to kind of rebalance uh with the air quotes, you know, using what we did, because that's essentially what we're doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. uh, So I agree. And then that seems more statistically reasonable uh, to do it that way versus, you know, the long stuff all the time. And then now I'll sell some bonds and buy stocks. I mean, should you be buying stocks now based upon the bonds? I've never thought that was a good idea that in any, in any regard that i you should make a decision in market A based upon what market B is doing, or C, D, E, and F too. So, yeah, not kind of in favor of encouraging. I, I can't honestly say I think it's it's going to be beneficial. I'm not sure.
1: No, I, I mean I take that point, and that's fine. Um, but funnily enough, what you said just um, you know before about you know taking making decisions based on, on what other signals are doing. I do actually think that some of our peers have gone down that route recently in the last few years, where they start doing this—I don't know what they call it—cross asset momentum, whatever. Uh, and I know that's maybe not what we're advocating, but but it certainly seems to be to be happening. Um, maybe as as in, in in lack of finding success in traditional trend following, some people try and come up with these new ideas. Any, any thoughts, uh, Moritz, uh, on these topics? Yeah, I think it makes sense to have some
2: some rules for asset allocation. So it's not just bonds buy and hold long only or stocks buy and hold long only. But it's a mix of things. That that to me makes a lot of sense. The rebalancing thing, I mean, when you're saying something that you know has gained in value and you're saying you want to rebalance that, then what it means is that you're going to sell something that has risen in price and you're going to buy something that has been a relative underperformer. So it's the opposite of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm more in Jerry's camp to say, let's use our trend-based rebalancing rules um, to prevent that, right? To stay with the trend and not allocate to the underperforming assets, but stay with the trend for as long as we can. And when we do get a rebalancing rule, meaning the trend has shown us that it's no longer there, it breaks right to the upside or the downside, then we rebalance and we do something else with our money, or maybe we do nothing at all and we you know we stay on the sidelines. That to me makes a lot of sense. But this requires a model. That requires development and you know work and understanding and experience, research, all of that. It it requires time and effort. It doesn't come for free. And like you say Niels, maybe you know if you understand the benefits of that way of trading, it may be worthwhile to allocate money to an external trend following CTA as opposed to going down the route of, you know, acquiring data, building the models, buying software and all that type of stuff. And, and, you know, quite frankly, using a lot of your own personal time um, on building that model. I mean, to us, it's, it's a source of enjoyment. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't feel like work or anything like that. I, I really love that work in quotes, right? So it, it, it doesn't, it's not a negative in any way, but it may not be for everyone.
1: Funny you say this thing about that it's not free to do all that work, but yet a lot of uh, I think investors nowadays feel that it should be free. No, um, I don't think trend so. Following anyone can do anyone can do trend following, right? <laughs> no,
2: I don't think that's true. Um, the good, the good things, the good systems—they they have a price tag, and I think they deserve that price tag.
1: Yeah, I agree. What else happened on uh, in Twitter land on your side, Jerry?
2: We're just continuing with that
0: same article. Um, I liked uh, this. He said, uh, nature does not ask your permission. She has nothing to do with your wishes and whether you like her laws or dislike them. You are bound to accept her as she is and consequently all her conclusions. So it goes with every field's laws, including investing. And this is sort of, uh, reminds me of how I've never been a fan of, uh, you know, find a methodology that suits your personality. I think that uh, if doing the right thing, which, you know, we consider to be medium to long term trend following long and short currencies, commodities, stocks, bonds, taking, making sure we take small losses and riding the winners, uh, then maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, but, you know, to sort of say, no, you know, I really don't like that. I'd rather make money about 1% a month and I don't want to have 40% winners. I don't want to wait around for months or years for these outlier trends. I'm uncomfortable with all of that. So I'm just going to go out and find something in the market that really suits me better. You know, I think that's silly. You'll be lucky to pull money out of the markets pursuing something that's very difficult and counterintuitive and goes against behavior, uh, our, how us humans would like to behave, if you can even come across those ideas like the three of us have at our firms then you'll be lucky to be able to stick with it and pull money out of the market but on top of that make sure it's something you really like oh my gosh long-headed any thoughts
2: more yeah lots of things in there uh, it's about being comfortable with your own trading system and your style of trading right and i you know just confessing that at the very start of a trend-following type of trading career um, that hasn't been comfortable at all. And even these days, it is not a comfortable trading system, right? Because you're forced to take positions which, you know, are against human nature. Like one example, just in recent weeks, we've had this upside breakout in nickel. Um, and, you know, when, when you don't have a trend-following trading system, buying that thing right now at the current level is incredibly tough to do, right? Because you're you're picking a very high point, or so it seems, But, you know, we've seen it so many times that, you know, you buy the high and those markets just tend to go higher. But it's you're in a position of of being uncomfortable with with your own action if you have to pull a trade like that off. So you need that system or at least I need that system to just do it. And I know that you know the way I trade it, the way I control the risk, I'm protected, um, and I'm diversified, and I'm doing this long and short, and in appropriate sizing, across a large portfolio. That to me is the only reason, really, I can pull that thing off and, and, and buy that high, and it makes me happy with my trading system. You know, very you know, um, uh, keen to follow that and follow the rules. But is it always comfortable? Mm, no. I mean, it's getting better with the years, but not all the positions I take are comfortable positions. In fact, the ones that are uncomfortable tend to make the most money, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we uh, obviously hear that a lot when people say, you know, do something you're passionate about, do something that you love. And, and I think that is just yet another, you know, contradiction that we have in our industry is that, um, and, and maybe that is why it's not for, for most people to uh, to do trend following or to invest in trend following. Um, because it doesn't sit well with that thing we've been maybe told by our parents, you know, go for your, you know, passion, go for something that, that uh, you love doing. So you really have to embrace all those other things that you mentioned, uh, Moritz, um, and, and to appreciate the value of those, uh, and what that might give you 10, 20, 30 years from now. Um, so, uh, yeah, well oh, pretty. Good point.
0: I feel like you know recently I've just spent too much time thinking about how to execute this trade, and there's just been a lot of multi ATR moves during the day. Corn, uh, gold, silver, nickel. And I'm doing these trades, and I'm spending way too much time nuancing them, you know, like, oh, God, okay, nickel, what are we going to do? It's up a lot, let's wait for it to settle down. Silver, oh, my gracious, this thing's out of control. we got to sell some corn, it's just crashing. And so, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time on, here's the system, and we, we have to plug into the computer. Well, we're going to buy on the close, we're going to buy on the open, we're going to buy during the day. Okay, it doesn't seem to matter that much, so here's our strategy, go. But then we are presented with seemingly during the day, these incredibly important ideas, uh, uh, situations where we've got to execute this silver. And it's you know, as soon as you put it in, you know, it's near the high, you get filled with the high, then it's, you know, goes, makes low on the day. And you're like, oh God. So we're, I find myself constantly being kind of bumped out by this, you know, which is just so ridiculous, you know, just do the trade and move on. And uh, so I think that, uh, That's not how, you know, that doesn't give me a lot of comfort. But I remember back in the day um, thinking when I was taught all these ideas, you know, the idea that uh, it should be hard, it should be painful, it's just not something that's going to fit your personality. I was like, oh, that does fit my personality. I do want to trade in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. So uh, I was always able to uh, embrace you know this newfound wisdom of buy here, sell there but why are we buying there? Why are we selling there? Why does this work? And what are we trying to replicate? We're trying to take advantage of people who don't like to buy highs, sell lows, take small losses, ride long-term profits, uh, sit there and do nothing. And this is, this is it's based upon this uh, uncovering of psychological things that people don't like. So embrace that you don't like it. And that suits my personality because my personality was, bottom line, just be successful. And if that's what it's going to take, and I wanted to be so different, you know, just embracing, can I please be different than everyone else? Just follow prices, follow trends, be long. You know, we left out uh, one of a great move this week for us was a short cattle. You know, I wanted to trade cattle. Yeah, you know, I wanted to meet people who would laugh about trading cattle because you know they were so much smarter and so much better at, at, because they only traded equities.
2: I know those rules. They help us take the uncomfortable trades, and just you know one one adds to what Jared just said on, you know, buying a market or selling a market and when you buy you pick the high and when you sell you pick the low and you're getting filled there. And it kinda of like it it tends to be that way in my experience. Seventy five to eighty percent of the cases you do the trade and you you know you're picking you're picking the high right and then for the rest of the day or for the next one or two days uh, you know it moves lower and you feel like oh my god there there, there we have it again and here's the one exception this year where kind of like it it doesn't seem to happen which is the bonds i mean right now i almost have no signals left to uh, to get me any longer of the bonds but you know the, the last couple of weeks and months having bought the bonds it's kind of like yep buy them next day you're higher no problem very easy trade
1: I mean, I think you, you touched on two important points uh, in, in that discussion. And one is, of course, that because it is so hard and so difficult and uncomfortable, you know, that's probably why it works, right? Because it's it's not going to get overcrowded, in my opinion, um, to to the extent that other things uh, might. But the other thing I think you, you it brings up is, and that is, now, if you're an individual uh, or a small firm, Where you are both doing the research and doing the trades, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's a harder job to do than in a firm where it's not the people who do the research that does the trades. The traders are just there to execute the trades, no question asked. They don't, you know, and and so they they have maybe one way of saying it. I mean, that there is less of an emotional. you know attachment as such it's it's just a job and i and i don't mean this in in a, in a negative way but it, it is their job to get the best price of course during the day they use their experience um, and i think there's a lot of value uh in that uh, having really experienced uh traders that's certainly something we see on our side but just having it completely removed from you know anyone else um and you know i think I don't know. I think it, 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 it makes things uh, a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, I think that division of duties is just a key part of discipline. Where the computer is telling you what to do, and you're going to do it, and someone else is going to execute it, and any sort of changes or the impacts the market can have on your trading. Is, it's a process to go through to change it. You know, it's kind of, we get into these systems and trading, and Uh, I had a large company at one point and it was, you know, it was a process and no one was able to kind of step in and say, okay, let's reverse these positions or take positions off. And there was risk control that you could implement when necessary, but that's really a good thing to set up an organization. It's much different than in 1983 when I'm sitting in front of a a quote machine and I have the rules in my head. And of course I was prone to override and ignore But yeah, somehow we, got, we could get a lot more consistent if you have a process like
1: that. And, and maybe that's the key, right? And, and, I mean, when you talk to people who are looking to invest and, and, and get exposure to trend following, what, what it's really all about when it comes down to it, it's whether or not they believe in the process. It's not about a single trade. It's not about you know one day or a week's performance or even a month or a quarter or a year. It's, do you believe following this process will, you know, deliver a, you know, a certain level of return that you would have expectations to, of course, over the next 10, 20 years? And, uh, uh, and I think that's the hard part to, to really know inside yourself, uh, whether you can stick with that, you know, always following the process.
0: I think it's important to understand that uh, this, all these tweets that I'm reading are coming from people who are not trend followers or probably just stock people, probably mostly um, indexing type. But I want to read a couple more. And just keep that in mind as you sort of process uh, how they sound like they're you know, kind of trend following or understand what's going on in the world. Quote, it's easy to underestimate how rare and powerful tails are. Tails drop almost everything. The takeaway from tails is that you should be comfortable when a lot of what you do and see doesn't work. The right way to think about returns is through expected value, reward times probability. It can make rational sense to speculate on low probability events. It can make sense for someone to speculate on long shot, crazy looking ideas, long bonds as they approach zero. It's crazy, crazy long shot, But you know, you just have a process where, we've said before, when you have a situation where you're going, the downside is defined. It's not always gonna be your 50 basis point loss or whatever, maybe some gaps or whatever, but you do have, hey, if it doesn't work, uh, it's not a big deal. I'm not gonna hurt myself too much by taking the small loss. And then you're kind of, it's just a superpower. You know, stop losses are like a superpower or your systematic approach that, that mimics, you know, stop losses that don't let the losses get out of control. Then what do you have to lose? And then once you have that profit, uh, you really have a superpower because you're just like, I can afford to hold on and watch this thing go and people criticize it and no one agree with it. And it's just really fun. And then you sort of understand, though, uh, who's doing the heavy lifting in this process? Is it me? Or is it these markets that are really crushing it? And all I did was follow the system to get on and then do nothing until the exit was hit. So the markets, at some point in time, they can really become the superstars and they're handing us this money. And we are like, I don't know if I deserve this, but it's really fun to watch.
2: Interesting point on the tails. Um, As you guys probably know, we've had a... The market threw us a mass one market threw us a massive left tail this week. I think it was a twenty or twenty-one Sigma downside event in Argentina, with the Argentinian stock market dropping, was it forty-eight percent in dollar terms and close to forty percent in um, peso terms, Argentina and pesos. And um, and so events like that, you know, they're supposed to happen once in I think I don't know 96 zeros or something whatever crazillion number that is right so they're 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 non-existent in statistics but yet they happen and we've mentioned that over and over again that that stuff stuff happens now do you want to bet on those type of tales? I'm not so sure I mean there's you know there's tails of a smaller magnitude that happen more often like you know the 2 and 3 sigma type of event things and there's funds out there which we know um who permanently trade on the long side of volatility buying options buying convexity to the upside and the downside and you know they're positioning themselves to make a lot of money as and when those tails materialize and show up but you have to go through longer periods of you know not making money underperformance paying away premium and and here's the important thing you have to be there and you have to have the right position on when that tail event happens, right? It's important to be in the market before that tail event happens and not after, because they're like so idiosyncratic, so rare. You just have to be there. It's a very, very different style of trading compared to what we do because it's so much more episodic um, as to when you're making PL and so much more painful and longer spread out that you're on losing streaks. But um, those funds they tend to survive. I think they have a higher higher probability of survival than those funds which constantly short volatility and do nothing but.
1: Yeah, but I mean, but you bring up a a, a, a very important point, and that is you have to be there. I mean, so, so even yes. though they you know, so they are there when it happens, and they somehow m- miraculously, you know, pay for all the losses and 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 make up for it. But it's the same with trend following. It's actually the same with a long only investor. If you're not if you really want to make money from long only, uh, I think there's some statistics out that if you missed the 10 best days in the last 20 years of, of the S&P, your returns would have gone, would be significantly lower than the actual return. The same with if, if you missed the 10 best months of Don's performance over the last 45 years, your returns would be significantly lower than, than what it is. So, And that's what I meant before when I said you have to convince yourself that you believe so much in the process that you will stay for the really long term otherwise exactly right. as, as jerry as jerry said you know then it's not for you i mean if, if you you know then go no, and very, find something else yeah
2: it's a very great point Niels. it's it really is about the process and that you have to have that process active every single day right because those events may come when you don't expect them and like you say even with us trend followers if we if we erase the 10 best month from our track records it would look much 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 different right um now here's the thing like one of the i sometimes read um on twitter and on websites that you know when you're trading that every once in a while you should take some time off and close your portfolio down you know go on a vacation not think about the markets and kind of like refuel that way you know I I think that idea is great and you know I sometimes take time off and you know not to be too close to the markets and you know not think about the S&P and and all that stuff right but I keep my system running you know it, it it allows me the way that I trade allows me with a few mouse clicks every day which don't bother me at all to keep the system running to keep the process running so that I can be there when things happen right I don't want to be I I think you know if you're in this for a business and you know you want to make money it may be very dangerous to say I'm now off six weeks on the Fiji Islands and then when you come back here's your 100% that you could have made but you've missed it and guess what it's not coming back for the next
1: 20 years enjoy the wait sell in May and go away which is uh, something a lot of people love saying Ah, but they shouldn't do it
0: (laughs) yeah (coughs) yeah That was I, as, as I was saying before. I, I had a tweet uh, this week where I said, it's essentially, you know, like try not. If you're trading, you know, you're if you're really heavily involved in the trading, uh, like Moritz and I are, we're actually looking at the markets, doing trades, and uh, then you know maybe uh, don't do, try to do too much Monday through Friday. Just execute the system. Try to. And then have a two-day work week or some weekends where you're really looking at how you did and maybe try thinking about some projects and research and testing. so that, so maybe this vacation, because uh, I was uh, instructed to take a vacation every month or two, you know, back in the 80s when I started. I can understand that. Uh, but uh, I would never close it all down. I would just tell my friend, you know, okay, I'm off this week Try to rejuvenate Uh so just hear my stops and stuff so uh, I think it's good to get away maybe it's that idea is a little outdated as we've talked about the different uh, duties that people have at the larger firms but a two-day work week should be pretty uh, pretty appealing to most people and that maybe you know you can kind of do something similar to that but uh, whatever you do during the week don't try try not to make it uh, especially a week like this past one, where you Major moves and coming up with these uh, brand new great ideas because the S&P is now down 800. How, how am I going to prevent this from happening? Uh, yeah, that's probably not a, a time to, to get into heavy duty research if that's your job or responsibility.
1: There's that. I mean, first of all, of course, Tim Ferries became very famous with the four hour work week. So I think the two day work week is also pretty appealing. So, uh, what's that space, but also, um, I I think the other thing that people forget and that is, and I think that makes it even harder for people who are trying to do this, uh, on their own. Um, and that is that, you know, um, science tells us that, uh, when we're under stress, we actually use, uh, we we lose, sorry, we lose, uh, part of our IQ simply doesn't, we don't function as well, um, as, as, as we normally do when we are under stress. So you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if, if you're loading too much on yourself during the day, um, the outcome is probably not going to be great. Um, so I agree with you. I mean, do the research when, when the markets are not, uh, taking up your, your energy and attention
2: yes and look i'm I'm on a vacation right now and i enjoy just you know reading a novel and not reading anything about the markets so of course you know there's a little bit of twitter and FinTwit stuff uh, going on in the evening when i enjoy a glass of wine but other than that i'm much more distanced uh, from the markets which which i think is a good thing but you know one thing i'd like to add is um when we're saying we're in that great position to be able to follow a process and you know have a vacation at the same time i think it's worth mentioning that getting to the stage where we're now able to follow the process has in itself been a process. You know, I remember when when I started trading the first, you know, trend following system, that was super, super clunky. And it took me a lot of time every day, you know, to run through it, to produce orders, to, you know, do the checks and balances, to re-import trades, to look at fills, manual processes, all of that stuff. So very time consuming. And it's been, you know, it's taken me years quite frankly and that's been a process to get it to the space to the stage where really literally it's you know it's not even 10 minutes it's like you know pumping up the computer getting market data in putting a few mouse clicks running the thing producing orders shutting it back down done
1: i was just going to say but but unfortunately a lot of uh, i think uh, a lot of times trend following is being sold uh, to people like, you know, retire as, as you desire. This takes very little time every day and you'll make uh, tons of money over time. But they forget that the first 10, maybe even 20 years, it does take all of your time and, and so on and so forth. And I remember just from, from when I come to our, our head office in Florida and I see the, the punch cards from the, from the punch holes machine that Bill Dunn and his son Daniel where they would go to the library every day and use these punch machines to calculate the rules of our initial trading system. I mean, imagine the time it took to, to run these trend-following models back then. So I completely agree with you, Moritz, that this is not easy. And so anyone who thinks that they should start doing trend-following because it can be done 10 minutes per day, um, that, that's the wrong reason to do, to, to do it. They may end there and I hope they do, um, because it is an amazing, um, uh, how should I put it? It is extraordinary how much you can do with the right set of of rules programmed in the right way. I mean, it really is, as you say, you can do it in 10 minutes, but don't forget that it took you maybe 20 years to get to that point.
0: Yeah, I think uh, having mentors and experiencing trading through people who've gone through it. And this is uh, very important, uh, I wasn't just given these rules, but I lived those rules with people who uh, were experienced and very knowledgeable. So I think that's very important. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this Argentina issue kind of made it out to the press and I was reading about it. And my friend sent me that, uh, uh, tweet uh, text message where he said it was 130-something or 140-something followed by 96 zeros. This is how often it's, it's supposed to happen. Uh, at the same time, I saw this uh, very prominent uh, cartoon, basically, that someone tweeted, uh, ironically, talking about uh, any sort of concern that people had in 2008 because the S&P lost 48% as well. It just it just wasn't in one day. Oh, so that makes it better. But his point was, oh, all this concern you have uh, is misplaced. All you people were walking off the cliff, walking away from equities, being concerned. One person in this cartoon took the other turn and just maintained calm and collectedness, knowing that his little buy and hold was going to be just fine. And I just find that so absurd because at the essence of what happened. What we do uh, is be afraid. Be very afraid. This is money. This is your life. You do not ever want to suffer a 48% drawdown one day or over many months like the S&P had. It's irresponsible. It's not right. Everything inside your being is right. It's telling you this does not feel right. But um, but we're told through this religious experience almost that uh, don't be weak. The only thing that works is uh, owning the, the S&P in a passive way. And our gut no, it tells us this is does not feel right, it isn't, and it's not right. And so with the trend followers, where we come in with moderate leverage, trend following, <clears throat> with the positions long and short, massive diversification, attempting to take small losses, before all hell breaks loose, we have a good plan. It's not dependent upon... Uh, do I have the short-term S&P system that's going to get me short at just the right time Add all this protection in crisis alpha? No, we come in every single day, our actions are showing everyone we are very conservative and concerned this is a dangerous world and even though those type of moves are rare, we are going to proceed as if bad things can happen.
1: And I think, and I think, uh, on, uh, you know, in, in addition to that, um, of course, what maybe you know, what what a lot of people may not know is that the way we start the process of designing systems is really by looking at the risk. It's not about how much money we can make. It's about how do we control the risk of of the system of the model. Um, that's the important part. Uh, the returns will take care of themselves if we get the risk management right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I love that uh, love that point. So, and, and, and I think it just goes to show, and, and you bring this up uh, today about Argentina, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I talked about things happening in the U.S., uh, record low yields. I talked about the banking index in Europe that is already down 90% from the high, breaking to new low. I mean, things can happen. Things can go badly wrong in a world, and it must be incredibly difficult without rules or without at least a strategic asset allocation in many different assets to really know what to do in a world like this where clearly there is no limit to what extreme uh, policymakers and and so on and so forth will go to, um, which makes it even more surprising to me sometimes that that not, not more people have embraced what we do. Um, because to me it makes... Uh, a lot of sense that in an uncertain world, uh, you need to be disciplined. You need to follow strict rules. You need to manage your risk first and foremost. Um, And uh, as as to quote you, Jerry, as, as you often say, what's not to like?
0: What part are we going to abandon? Small losses, we're going to go for bigger losses and smaller profits, less diversification, no shorts, not being systematic. Uh, just wing it. I mean, what? Break it all down. What part of uh, diversified, systematic, diversified, long-term trend following do you want to get rid of? Stocks only now at this late? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'm too nervous. I think it's ironic that we we trade cattle or commodities. We use leverage every day, uh, and yet we're the conservative ones. You know, we're the ones who are afraid to be long stocks and just blindly watch as we just don't have to do anything. You know, I'm all for being long-term, but I want to do a little bit more than nothing. You know, I think uh, that's the way I, I don't want my system to be too crazy. Let the markets do what they're going to do. Don't botch up this bond trade, you know, do the trade, hang on. There's nothing to do here, but I'm gonna, not going to hold on forever or with the stocks either. So I'm going to do a little bit more than nothing by just when that trend turns, will happily take those profits
1: you wanted to say something Moritz? or you look like oh no nothing something. to add this was just <laughs> this was just perfect what's not to like Love
2: uh, Love <laughs> everything a single thing of it right
1: yeah and, and i think also uh, when 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 uh, you talk about these things uh jerry as as things that are you know risky trading these commodities and all of that stuff but it's always appropriately sized right i mean there's no more risk in cattle than there is in the bond, not to us at least it could be to others but for us it's it's always appropriately sized
2: that's right
0: and as the world heads to chaos you know and all these crazy things happening and as we set off air i, I need to go and read and listen to this uh one gentleman who is saying um uh, he sees minus three percent rates maybe at least in europe uh, this will become readily apparent you know with all the biases and resistance to uh more diversification, more rules, more capital preservation will melt away. And we may not see it in our life and we may not profit from it, but it's inevitable that uh, even things that look to be safe and the way, and the consensus is uh, we're certainly swimming upstream now, but this cannot last forever. We have a superior product and, uh, you know, that superiority already always wins out Amidst
1: a massive
0: res- resistance to change, but
1: uh. and we even won over some of the press this week because I thought there was a positive article out about trend following this week in CT Intelligence. So uh, you know, not surprising that they were maybe some of the first people to come out and say something nice about uh, what we do after all the uh, negative press we had last year and the beginning of this year.
2: Well, didn't you say it's fun to look nine months back at the old news when we had the extinction, extinction event for the CTAs? I think this is nine months back in December or January of last year. So how things have changed.
1: Yeah, and I think actually some of the biggest negative articles uh, came out on Bloomberg. Right. And that was in late February of this year. So they're still to uh, revisit that uh, mm-hmm. those <laughs> write-ups anyways. Um, what else, Jerry, did you, I know we have one uh, question this uh, week from, uh, Craig, but I would love to uh, see what else you found interesting, uh, on social media.
0: Well, I think, uh, we can end there. I just wanted to make one more comment that I thought that, uh, the, one of the best parts of all of what we've discussed is, uh, this same tweet where at the very end, he says, the takeaway from tales is that you should be comfortable when a lot of what you do and see doesn't work. And I think that is really the essence, you know, are you going to be a person who is immune to your stuff not working? You know, you don't care, you don't have any, it doesn't phase you whatsoever. You know, I'm kind of late to this um, trading psychology and having professional, I think there are firms, uh, big hedge funds who have like professional psychiatrists and psychologists on staff I got uh, motivated by this by the TV show Billions, where the woman who plays the psychiatrist, psychologist, the counselor, has a prominent role on the TV show. And I'm like, yes, this is so amazing. I think there just needs to be a department uh, and and resources for traders and researchers and trend followers and systematic, uh, as well as discretionary, because we're fighting these battles all the time, in our head, no matter how much success we've had, It's just a new clock. January 1, I remember walking into the office many years ago, December 31st, and we had just pulled it out and uh, had a better year than most of the other CTAs and uh, the ones that I was concerned with and uh, just pulled it out, you know, the last quarter, last month. And I said to myself, never again will I question that. That is ridiculous. Look at this gift you've been given, this knowledge you have. You've got to embrace it. Then, you know, January, February rolls around. And you're like, oh, my God, what's going on here? You know, the trends, where are they? Clients are calling and being destabilized by, you know, people who don't get it and not don't love it and embrace it. So I just think that is where it is. And, uh, you know, uh, can you handle what is your mentality when what you do doesn't work and you get the calls and you're just. Are you paying attention to the numbers or the you know the, the emotions and the criticism? And I, whatever it takes to get you to that really high level, because this should be fun. And it's going to have an impact. It's going to have an impact eventually. You may be able to ride it out, but your research, your approach, uh, what, how you talk to your clients and your employees, and your colleagues, I think this needs to really... Uh, a, a great idea, I think, to, I wish I had availed myself of more, uh, you know, counseling, <laughs> we need some counseling.
1: No, I mean, I, I, I think that's a great point, And I think a lot of the feedback I get uh, from emails from our listeners, which are, uh, are very kind and very nice, but, but certainly a, a, a reoccurring theme is that they, they think it's a great resource, uh, because they can hear that even, you know, the three of us who've been doing it for, for decades. Um, that it's not as you know, it's not an easy thing to do, uh, even after all these years. So, uh, you know, of course, it's even harder probably for people uh, just getting started or having done it for for a short period of time. But it brings up one thing that I would say. Now, of course, I don't, since I'm based in Europe, I don't, I'm not in our headquarters uh, every day. Uh, but one thing that my colleagues who have been there for you know 20 plus years would always say is that. One of the things that was just amazing with our founder, Bill on, is that you could never tell on him whether we were up 5%, 10%, 15% or down 5% or 10% 15%. There was just no difference in the way he would uh, act or operate. And seeing that, I think, is an incredibly gift as a mentorship. And I'm sure it's the same maybe with you and Richard Dennis, uh, Jerry, um, I think that that is something that um, yeah, it's a true gift if you can so be a, so be surrounded by people like that when you're trying to get the the hangs of of this kind of uh, you know investment approach.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I think uh, just looking back over the charts and these long term trends, and I like to put up weekly charts and you know, see what matters, see what's mattered over the past 30 years, and then watch these markets and you kind of look at some of the. I mean, I guess there's been some bad days in the in this bond trade. You know, there's been some down days, some sell offs, and but you know, after you look at the trend and it's over and it lasted and it made a ton of money, how irrelevant was were those emotions at that time? You know, uh, and <clears throat> you would just you know the probably the research ideas you were trying to come up with to say how do I not uh, have a trade on that doesn't have this type of drawdown, only to see it go right back to the highs and make another 50 ATRs
1: some of these uh, problems and concerns we have are so irrelevant. And part of getting people to love and embrace the, the, uh, the process is, of course, that they can look back on all our track records and, and, and you know, and frankly, they are very good by, by uh, you know, if we're measured against our industry from, from all of us. But it doesn't mean that we won't underperform the industry maybe two, three years out of 10. I mean, of course we will. Um, so nothing is in a straight line. Nothing is easy and you never get... To a point where you're always on top as you said you had a great year you felt great but of course two months later uh you know it you know we we may be behind for a little while and and so on and so forth and and that's just the nature of the game And, and and once you embrace that completely and you internalize it and i often bring it up when um after a great run um i i actually like to remind our clients how this feels Because it's about feeling, it's about how we feel about it, because I want to be able to call upon, ideally, on that feeling when we're in drawdown and say, well, remember how it felt when we just had, like we've just had now six months in a row, positive performance, right? How did that feel? And therefore, uh, if you can remember that, then don't get too discouraged when we've had four down months in a row and are down 20% from a high or whatever. because. It's, it's, you know, you have to remember how great it feels. um, you know, uh, at the time when when things are, are working, for us, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed, because it's systematic.
0: I'm the same as I was when you were loving it, and we we're making all kinds of money, because it never was me, it was the systematic approach. Now the systematic approach is giving back profits. But I used to call the office during the in the 90s, when I started hiring traders and we'd have a round clock, group of traders uh, monitoring the markets and putting in trades. And I would call from my, before the iPhone or whatever to see, I'd say, okay, what's going on today? And they'd start going down the list of markets. And and I could tell by the way they answered the phone, if we were making money or losing money, how stupid is that? You know, they'd have this pessimistic pie, you know, or they would be very chirpy if we were making money. And I was like, you've got to stop doing this. And so even though they were only executing, uh, they're still a member of the team, you know, and they want us to succeed, they want us to win. And so their emotions, you know, we're making, we're making me destabilized. <laughs> I don't want to call those guys. Uh, you know, I want uh, you just cannot uh,
1: be influenced by performance. And it goes back to what we talked about, I think last time or the week before, and that is a big part of what uh, we are being paid for, I think. It's not just delivering performance and all of that stuff. It's actually also there to uh, hold the hands of our clients uh, through these periods uh, and the emotional roller coaster, exactly as financial advisors do. I mean, there are some studies out uh, where they, they um, have somehow quantified how much it adds uh, to have someone to hold your hand through difficult times, uh, financial advice. And it's not just like 50 basis points. We're talking about, you know, two, two and a half percent per year in terms of better performance, which we know over time, over 20, 30 years, makes a massive difference. Um, so, uh, if we can help people not sell the, the low and, and, uh, and, and all of that getting out at the wrong time, we, are we're, we're, we're delivering a, an important service, I think.
2: It's uh, It's been great listening to you guys, but there's like, you know, one story on on those trays and, you know, it's it, it become for our industry, it's custom to report monthly numbers or quarterly numbers, numbers, but for sure the annual numbers, right? And the annual numbers are the most important ones for whatever reason, you know, we could also be reporting 12 month rolling returns, but it just so happens to be the case that on every calendar year, we kind of like take a stop and we record the P&L. So, Here's this thing, on the last business day of December, this is I think uh, five, six years or so ago, I had the entire portfolio up just a bit more than 1%. All right, so it looked like a positive year. It's an important day, it crystallizes performance fee and all of that type of stuff, right? So what, what are you going to do? Are you going to close down the portfolio to save that one P L? and are you going to follow the process and trade your system? So, as you guys may, you know, probably ju- guess correctly, I followed the system, right? And so I closed the year down at minus 20 basis points. That felt absolutely, you know, what it felt like, right? But it it was the thing to do. And so I called a friend of mine, and you know, he told me something which which I think is, it's just I remember it ever since. Like you know, on the last business day of the month, you just tell yourself. The month is still young and that is absolutely true and you know everything and anything can happen in the last couple of hours of a month of a quarter of a year and it may just you know take your portfolio
1: the wrong side but that's the way we do it you should take the day off every last day of the month actually and uh, you know remove <laughs> the stress <laughs> let's uh, jump into the uh, questions yeah well there's Probably just one, but it might be a little bit uh, longer than usual. We'll see. Uh, Craig writes, uh, hope you're doing well. Great show this week. As always, I had a theoretical question about trend behavior, which I appreciate all your thoughts on. It may be a bit long-winded, but here is the background to the question. The behavioral reasoning behind trend following is that there is generally underreaction to public information, price fundamentals, etc., and market participants take varying accounts of time, or amounts of time, sorry, to disseminate their meaning and act accordingly, leading to hurting behavior and trends in price. There's been lots of discussion about overcrowding in trend following, which I believe in theory should not eliminate the price trends themselves, but make the trends occur faster over shorter time period. Here is my actual question, but what if actual, but what if actually the opposite occurred, i.e., less trend followers among market participants existed, at least measured relative to AUM? Shouldn't that make trends slower and more random looking when looking at short time frames, days, weeks, months? Question mark. So first of all, thanks, Craig, for your question. Um, Let me throw it to you, uh, Moritz, first, Um, what do you make of this um, idea or thought?
2: It's an excellent question, Greg. Uh, Thanks for sending that over to us. Um, You know, as you know, it cannot be answered with precision. None of us can have a precise answer as to, you know, what our participation in the market is but so the only thing i can do is i i can share my feeling and observation and 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 my belief of what's going on i think that we as trend followers are not large enough relative to other market participants to have a meaningful influence on the longer term trends those longer term trends They establish not because trend followers initiate it or kick it off they establish because of different reasons we're just there to follow them now the other thing i want to say is that you know when trend followers use similar types of trading strategies and you may you may see that with those you know flat fee or the 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 bank driven more like simplistic type of trend following strategies which kind of like work in the same way and that leads to crowding around a specific entry or exit point. I don't think that this will destroy the trend in any way, but it will make the thing more erratic, the price behavior more erratic. And it may drop you out of a position because you have a quick reversal or something like that, a price action driven by the crowdedness that may kick you out of a trend before the trend then resumes. So it will be more erratic. but the longer-term trend I don't think will be influenced. Now, this is just, those are my two cents. I, You know, there's no way I can prove that. It is it is my observation and my my current belief, which, you know, as you guys know, may change in 2 months time as, as we get new information and new observations. But for the time being, this is what I think uh, is the case. Yeah, I agree with that. I just think that uh, the way that
0: I hear these questions, they're... Always the same and it's my answer is always the same. It's just two different things going on as if it's one That's how the questions are always posed, but it's not it's two one is the effect on trends uh, We're gonna have trends. It's not going to stop trends. I don't even think it's gonna make them quicker slower, slower uh, whatever <clears throat> that doesn't seem to be the case, but uh, now Issue number two is how is it going to impact CTA trend following as far as making money? You can have massive trends and none of us can make money. Oh, yeah. And that we've seen a little bit of this already happening because we've all had to change our look back from one month to multiple months, 10 months, 12 months, because the markets are way more choppy and we're attracting people and computers and algorithms and bots to uh, make the breakouts so we can all get long. Cocoa, uh, corn, lot, lots of examples that, you know, before computers and Algo's, that stuff happened. Is it happening more? Well, let's rather than saying it is or it isn't, let's see someone do some research and say, oh, yeah, we have more false breakouts. We certainly have choppier markets and violent sell-offs and fall targeting amongst large CTAs and, uh, I guess, other... <clears throat> insurance companies or whatever who are in the stock market who have to sell uh, intraday when the market gets going that causes issues we have a lot of crashes and a lot of uh, nice trends that get reduced to almost nothing in the commodities as well so i think there are things going on it's a worse it's a worse approach it's uh, still profitable i believe and still can be profitable but there's just no doubt that uh, the evidence is there that it's Uh, The CTAs could kill trend volume themselves if if this uh, sort of ball-targeting and indiscriminate buying and selling and trying to throw around a lot of uh, positions in commodities keeps going. But it can even happen in stocks. So uh, there's just no doubt that uh, the trends are much different.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think – I mean, I think all of all of the you, you the things you both said are are very important. Um, I I think in particular um, what Moritz said about the fact that we as trend followers we don't make the trends, I think is critical. I think there is some kind of misunderstanding that the more trend followers, the more trends or the bigger the trends. I don't know that that is correct. So we just take a step back and say, well, what do the markets really do? Well, markets are an efficient place for investors to express different desires, right? So uh, Moritz may have uh, young kids and he wants to buy a certain, uh, make a certain investment um, for their, you know, um, save up to college education. He makes an investment. Jerry, you might have, you know, older children and, they might come to a point where you did your college fund 20 years ago, and you get to a point where you actually want to sell that because now they're out of college, etc., etc. So you meet on the same day, and you 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 do the trade, but you have opposite reasons for doing it. But it's just an efficient place to do it. So what I'm trying to say here is that most of the time, um, markets just reflect, or you know, reflect the fact that there are so so many diverse reasons for either buying or selling. There's no wrong or right. But from time to time, things change. It could be news. It could be, you know, other things that makes more people want to go in the same direction. And that creates, to, to at least in, in my opinion, to a large extent, that creates these price moves. And still, there's nothing, you know, wrong or right. And, and, and so it's not just trend followers is, is what I'm trying to say. There are a lot of other types of investors that's, that from time to time decide that maybe it's a good idea to buy bonds, so bonds keep going up because everyone is heading in the same direction. So it's this kind of hurting behavior, but, but maybe not just as simply described as just, yeah, okay, we do the same as the neighbor. We have different reasons for it, but sometimes those reasons are very similar and that helps create trends. It's not a very eloquent way maybe to explain it. But, but we're always asked, so why do trend following works? And I think that's part of the reason why it really works because it comes down to basically human behavior but explain it in a different way, um, uh, hopefully. Uh, so I actually, to go back to your uh, question, Craig, um, I, I don't know that uh, we need to discuss or worry about the term overcrowding in, in in the trend-following space because markets have always moved. I mean, historically, they've always moved. So markets moved 100 years ago when there were no trend followers. So how do, how do we explain that? Markets move today when there are more trend followers. Yeah, but they don't move that differently, really. Uh, they may in the short term. I agree with that. I agree with Jerry on, on that, that there may be more noise. And I think there's an article out uh, recently about noise versus um uh, volatility, I think it was. And so more noise can make it definitely challenging for trend followers. And that's why we, possibly that's why we we've changed our look-back periods to be a little bit slower to avoid some of the noise. Um, but directional volatility has always been in the markets. There's nothing new. Um, am I completely off base here, guys? Or? Well, I
0: mean, I just think it's, I think that's true, but then you have a lot of choppiness and a lot of, uh, you know, volatility targeting that can torpedo these, you know, you could hold on to these bonds for a couple of years and have all this open profit, and how much are you going to get out of it if there's tremendous volatility? We we already saw that uh, last week in the uh, Italian bond, and I have no problem saying, well, you know, that's not Volatility targeting. Well, some of it probably was. So it was down 300 one day, maybe 100, 150 of that. And then it reversed the fundamentals, did not justify. I mean, I'm not. Gonna, I'm glad the fundamentals don't justify stupid volatility targeting. Uh, so, uh, but I do think that uh, it's just two sides. You know, one is what you said, and one is what I said. They're both equally valid. It is harder, it is choppier. You can. Try to defend against it by being longer term and having other trading techniques that don't give back all of your profits. But sometimes you will not be successful and you will give back a lot more than you would have in the 80s and 90s because of the amount of trade followers that are out there who have to unwind their position in some of the less liquid markets, although it's not just the less liquid. And then you have more incentive of algo-driven traders
1: who are trying to find our stops Right, I think that's important. I mean, I think that that I think is is, in my opinion, maybe even more important. I, I mean, I think there are a lot of other people now trying to do um, some kind of mean reversion type uh, strategies. That that I, I also uh, remember Stan Druckenmiller talked about that he found it harder because once the the trend goes a certain, uh, you know, certain set of deviation away from from kind of quote unquote the mean, then some of these algos will come in and try and push push it down. I think that is true. I mean, there could be some vault targeting as well. I mean, who knows? Um, and so, but anyways, um, hopefully you've got a little bit of color there, Craig, on on your uh, question. I think deep down, I mean, to, to sort of wrap it up a bit, given the fact that um, you know, certainly you, Jerry, and us and, at and Don, we've been doing it for such a long time, and the strategies are still making money. Um, there's always going to be periods where they make more money than others, um, but I certainly wouldn't think that it's impossible for us to have some of the best years ahead of us, not necessarily uh, behind us. Some of the extreme, some of the coordination between central banks Um, And the involvement of authorities can potentially create some humongous trends, really. Um, But uh, as Ray Dalio also talked about, I mean, there are these paradigms or these, uh, yeah, that can last for for 10 years or so where markets, um, you know, go into a certain regime. and, And that regime could be difficult for any strategy. I mean, we're not the only ones. Uh, where it's been a bit challenging. I mean, value investing has been incredibly difficult um, and still is. At least we're having, as an industry, a great year this year. I'm not so sure value investors have that uh, yet. So anyways, any uh, final thoughts um, as we slowly come to an end of our weekly conversation? Uh, I should say maybe a quick update on the live event. I think we've only got about three maybe four, three or four slots left. So if you uh, are on the fence, uh, thinking about joining us October 26th, October 27th in New York, lower Manhattan, um, then jump off the fence, uh, raise your hand, and secure one of the last few spots. We would love to have you and we're going to do our best to help you with whatever whatever uh, challenge you may have, uh, whether you are experienced, uh, or whether you are relatively new, I think we can learn from all of the participants and coming. So hopefully you, uh, be able to, to, to join us. Um, anything else guys, uh, let me just maybe also uh, bring up, uh, today in terms of performance, I think yesterday, Friday possibly was a bit of a down day for the industry Um, But as of Thursday night, uh, the BTOP50 index was up 2.21 for the month, up 10.93 for the year. Uh, The SockGen CTA index was up 1.22 for the month, up 9.83 for the year. The SockGen Trend Index up strong 4.07 for the month, up 17.2 for the year. The SockGen Short-Term Traders Index up 1.16 and up two point four. 39, I think it is uh, for the year, and then the Bridge Alternatives Index up 4.96, up 14.57% so far in 2019. Um, anything else um, that you want to bring up? Any final thoughts? Um, obviously, we'd love more questions, uh, so keep sending them to info at block.com. We love to hear from you. Thoughts, questions, anything? Yes, keep them coming. I enjoy the questions a lot. I think
2: they're very valuable. Um, probably one of the best things that we do in the podcast is answering them. I, I think it's great. So it's always appreciated when they come in. We like that. Uh, we also like to see you guys in New York at the end of October. It would be great to uh, to have a great great weekend with everyone there. And other than that, enjoy the summer and happy trading. I'm looking forward to maybe one of these days our first
0: uh, recorded a question or comment
1: Oh yes we we definitely want to uh, maybe we should challenge sam sam always says he wants to take us to to the extreme so now we're taking you sam to the extreme you should be the first one to record a message uh, maybe even a question i'm not so sure about the question the question is harder for us to play and answer we we but maybe a message sam that would be That would be fun. And of course, you can do that by going to toptradersonplug.com forward slash voicemail. So Sam, that is your challenge from us. Um, Other than that, I think on this uh, note, we're going to wrap up uh, this week's conversation, which we of course hope that you enjoyed. And if you want to support the podcast, then please head over to toptradersonplug.com forward slash review. Uh, where there is guidance to how you can leave us a nice comment and rating if you feel we deserve that. From Jerry, Moritz, and me, thanks so much for spending some of your day with us. We love the loyalty that all of you show us every week, and we look forward to being back with you uh, in the next uh, episode, in a week's time, and in the meantime, have a great week.